Well, good morning again, Sailorville Church. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can open it to the book of Exodus, the second chapter, the first 10 verses as we continue in our journey to freedom in the book of Exodus. And without further ado, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 reads like this. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and looked and took his wife, uh, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, or the Hebrew says a good or beautiful, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it amongst the reeds by the river bank. And, it, uh, and his sister, that would be Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket amongst the reeds and, saw, and sent her servant woman and said, uh, and, who took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the, he- the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because, his name means, I drew him out of the water. In another dramatic story in scripture by the name of Esther, Esther is a young Jewish woman who becomes queen of the empire of that day. Uh, During a time when a demon-possessed man by the name of Haman, second charge of all that empire, is conspiring to annihilate all of the Jews. Esther's uncle appeals to Esther as the queen to make an appeal to the king. And he tells Esther, he says, look, Esther, this isn't dumb luck that you ended up here. He said, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. What was Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, acknowledging? He was acknowledging the providence of God. Some people in the Christian realm, many actually, mix up terms. We talk about the sovereignty of God because we love that term, amen? And so we should. And we talk about the providence of God, and we use them interchangeably, but they don't mean the same. One has to do with your head, the other with the hand. The one with, one with the hand, uh, the head, the other with the heart. The, the, the difference between the sovereignty of God and the providence of God is this. The sovereignty of God is his overarching rule, his rule of all things. God is in control, amen? The providence of God is God's, is the working out of that rule, the working out of the circumstances that bring about his sovereign will. Now, how do you illustrate this? Uh, Well, here's a man that came to me about 10 years ago. You recognize him as our former youth pastor, now administrator. He had a little more hair back then. 
And he came to me, and he, he, was, he was seeing that his time as a youth minister was sort of coming to a conclusion. And uh, he was really, really burdened. I was taken off for a day away to do some planning, sermon preparation, planning for the future, because after all, I was the default administrator of the church. You can do that if you'd like. It was myself, our counseling pastor, and our secretary. We were a trio, and we, none of us were very good at it. And in that email, uh, Abe wrote me, he said, in, 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 he said, the gist of it was, Pastor, I long to help you to do better at what you do, to take your vision and to help to make it happen. And then Abe listed not one, not two, but about three dozen ways in which he thought he could make it better around here. And he was basically vying, without knowing it, to become the administrator of the church, which by now you know is exactly what he is. I was really nervous about making him. I didn't know how this, I didn't know if this was a smart decision. About two weeks later, I realized I was brilliant. (laughs) Maybe the smartest decision I'd ever made. Listen, the providence of God is his administrator by which he gets his will accomplished. His administrators include people and circumstances and events in your life. But in the end, what God wills, God gets. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he came to himself after being insane for seven years, admitted this in Daniel 4 when he said, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the armies of heaven, amongst the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can stop his hand or say to him, what are you doing? Because God is not just a sovereign God, he is a providential God. The root word to providence is the word provide. You can see it in the word. Now listen, the Hebrew word for provide is is a word which means to see. And that helps us, really, if you think about how many times you said, I can't see how this is going to turn out. You'll say things like that. If I said to Abe, if I said to Abe, this is what I'm thinking about doing, he might say, I'll see to it. What's he, what's he saying? I'm going to get it done, because that's what administrators do, right? Remember when God told Abraham to take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice on Mount Moriah, remember that? About three days into the journey, they're making their way up. And uh, it's a pathetic moment because the young teen, Isaac, is looking up at his dad and he says, say, dad, uh, here's, the, here's the wood and here's the fire, where's the lamb? To which his father Abraham answers famously, God will what? Say it. Provide for himself the lamb. And when it was all said and done, as he, as he wielded that knife over his son, the angel comes and stops, and there is that ram caught in the bush. Abraham names the place. He doesn't name it, he doesn't name it the place of the ram or, or the bush of the, of the substitute. He names the place The Lord will what? There it is. He'll see. He'll see. John Piper says, whenever God is working, God is acting. 
If God perceives, he performs. If he inspects, he effects. When God sees, he sees too. His seeing is always with a view to doing. Okay, so I'm not a scientist, but I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. I'm not a cosmologist, but by faith, I believe that Jesus Christ himself holds everything together, right? Colossians 1.17. And I'm not a prophet either, but by faith, I believe in the providence of God that, watch this, works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's providence, hands-on. I love the way God spoke to the young Jeremiah when he called him into the ministry. He said, I am watching over my word to what? To perform it. God's hand-on, hands-on, that's his providence. C.S. Lewis once wrote, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. <laughs> and I, I include this. I don't doubt God is running things. I do wonder what he's running me into sometimes in my journey, in my journey to freedom. And so with that, we have the story, the narrative, the birth of Moses in desperate times. And desperate to snuff out, to annihilate the Jews, uh, the Pharaoh has gone from infanticide to genocide. All the boys, and we have no idea how many boy babies, infants are being thrown into the Nile. Eerily similar to Nazi Germany and the final solution. And along comes Moses. His parents their names are Amram and Jochebed. We're not told in the story. We, we get that in chapter 6, but just so that you know. Already they have two children at this point. The girl, she's mentioned in verse 4, is Miriam, the sister. And a three-year-old boy, he's not mentioned yet, but he'll get some real airtime later on. It's Aaron. He's three. I mean, now look, if ever, a little, if ever a little family had an excuse for closing out ranks for having kids, it was this one. Aaron apparently had cleared the hurdle uh, of being dispatched at birth. The moratorium on boys, boy babies was now in play. Now listen to this. It would take faith just to have normal marital relations. Given the circumstances of the time, their faith extended to their sex life. And you were wondering when you're going to have that conversation with your kids. Well, there you go. <laughs> I can still remember being at a work. I was a young 28-year-old pastor in this little country church. It was a work day on Saturday. I was with a 70-some-year-old father figure of mine. We, we sat together and had lunch in my office, and we just prayed for, the, for our meal, and he, he just mutters out. He goes, you know, my wife and I, we pray about everything. We, we even pray about our sex life. I, I nearly choked on my apple right there. <laughs> and then I started praying about my sex life. If you think about it, the, the Jews must have had family planning centers all over Goshen. I mean, I can still remember when our number four came along, and then number five, and then number six. I can still remember some of those comments like, 
Oh, wow, isn't that something? (laughs) And uh, you know there are means to prevent these things, right? (laughs) I got to think about that. What if I listen to those comments? I mean, the college salt company at DMAC would surely have a director right now, but it wouldn't be Daniel Nemers. Sailorville Church would have an evangelism intern, but it wouldn't be John Nemers. And High Point Church, our third church plant in Altoona, would surely have some some tremendous ready-made youth workers, but it wouldn't be Joey and Elizabeth Gambrill. In fact, Joey would have to come to know Jesus through some other means, and Elizabeth would be non-existent. Come to think about it, what if we had stopped at just one kid? Then I wouldn't have to be on my knees every day praying about the one that doesn't love Jesus. Oh, maybe God had something to do with that. Oh, by the way, there would be about eight grandkids would be unaccounted for. Speaking of eight, I, I called an old friend of mine, <laughs> and we, we talked. We had a great time of fellowship from our first church. Uh, he's, a, he's a cowboy. Uh, his, he's, he's just total cowboy horses and ranch and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, we were having a great time reminiscing over the phone about a day we were hunting. We were out hunting pheasant. We were sitting on a hillside, sunny day, watching this farmer with his compine cutting through the last swath of corn. And we were talking about our families. And uh, I think I had four kids at the time. He had three beautiful girls. The, old, the youngest was three. He said, you know, Pastor, I so long to have a boy. And I said, well, you know, you never know. God might give you a boy. No, I don't think so. We're, we're done. We're done having kids. I said, well, why, why are you done having kids? Well, you know, there are, there are some physical issues in the history of our family, so we kind of figured that we should probably stop. I kind of lit him up right there on the hillside. I said, who are you trusting, dude? Who are you trusting? Are you trying science and history? Are you trusting God? And I said a few other things. Uh, I didn't think a whole lot of it. We went back to hunting. Unbeknownst to me, he was under massive conviction from that conversation. And as a result of that one conversation, he would have two more girls. (laughs) True statement. And six more boys. Here's that cowboy family right there. I read some picture of them. So, yeah, probably a good idea to pray about your sex and reproductive lives, huh? The writer of Hebrews says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, the text tells us, the narrative tells us that they'd done this, but the writer of Hebrews says it was a faith thing, that they hid this little newborn for three months. Imagine trying to keep that quiet. And verse 2 says he was a fine child. That's just a funny way of translating the word. Some of your Bible say good. In the New Testament, this, the birth of Moses is alluded to not once but twice. In Acts chapter 7 and in Hebrews chapter 11. And in both times it uses a word only used referring to Moses only twice in all the New Testament. It's the word beautiful. He was a beautiful child. And the word means to be a man of the town. The idea is a distinguished individual. And we don't know what that means. We don't know what was it about Moses uh, other than the fact he was stunningly beautiful. But aren't all babies stunningly beautiful? 
But there is something about Moses. I mean, I don't think he had a halo. Whatever it was, it was enough for his parents to risk their lives. I mean, if you look at the last verse in the first chapter, uh, uh, Pharaoh put out a North Korea-type uh, memo. Pharaoh commanded all his people, every, commanded all, the, all his people, that's all of Egypt. Every son that's born of the Hebrews, you shall, you shall cast in the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. So it was like North Korea-like. I mean, North Korea is a tattling country. If you tell on someone and get them in trouble, you get rewarded, even your own family members. At any rate, in spite of all that, by faith, they keep the child. And Jochebed, the mother, we know what she does. She makes this ark-like thing with the substance uh, that makes it float, puts it into the Nile. You know the story. Interesting, isn't it? The The infant boys would be put in the Nile, so she really was following the letter of the law. In fact, one writer put it like that. Jochebed was obeying the letter of the law, but her trust was in the providence of God, and he did not fail her. I want to talk to you in the balance of our time about the providence of God, the administrator of God's will. That's what it is. And the first thing I want you to notice is that the providence of God uses natural circumstances to bring about his will. I don't want you to think, when you think of the providence of God, there are miracles, but normally it's just the normal grind of life that he is doing stuff, putting people and events together for you, for your good, for his glory. You notice that it was Pharaoh's daughter, not the son that found the baby. The son that found the baby, throw it it in the Nile. But the daughter found the baby. Why? Because she was a woman, and you women have that natural maternal instinct about you, right? Right? And one look at the beauty of Moses, sunk the hooks in deeper, throwing a cry, and that was it. I mean, my wife to this day, the cry of an infant, the cry of a baby is irresistible to her. I'm thinking the baby's crying. She's going, I have to have that baby. I have to have that baby. (laughs) But these are natural means by which God is working out his providence. He's doing the same thing with you if you're looking We don't serve a deist God who just winds us up and throws us out there. He's here. His hands are on us. I love how J. Vernon McGee put it. He said, God brought together a little baby's cry on a woman's heart down by the Nile when Pharaoh's daughter went to bathe. The Lord pinched little Moses and he let out a cry. The cry reached the heart of the princess and God used it to change the destiny of a people. That was providence. That was the hand of God. The only question is, do you see it? Do you see him working in the normal circumstances and grind of life? Secondly, the providence of God often begins with a baby. The Bible takes special time to announce the births of Isaac and Samson and John the Baptist and Jesus. And then here, the lesser Jesus, Moses, who is a picture or a type of Jesus. I mean, we've had a lot of babies. I'm looking at, I mean, we've had a, 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 just a, I don't know, a lot of babies born here recently. Couldn't come up with a good adjective. Here's a picture of one I took last week. There's some beautiful babies, huh? Moms look pretty nice themselves, don't they? I looked, I thought of this picture I took just last week in the foyer and, the, and just the thought occurred to me, mamas, lift up your babies to God. 
they might be even more special than you already believe them to be. When God is, going, is getting ready to change the world, he often uses a baby. So dads and moms, I know you are like, some of you are like borderline insane, and some of you are beyond that right now. Because of those kids, they're crazy, they're wild, they're disobedient, they're unspiritual, but that might just be the baby God's going to use to change the world. Believe it. That cowboy picture I put up, my friend told me about his son who went astray. A little cowboy language. Wasn't walking with God. He repented. He's walking with God today. And every week he has a cowboy church in his home where 12 cowboys and ranchers come who will never darken the doors of another church, and he's giving them the gospel every single day. The providence of God often begins with a baby. So moms and dads, take care of them. Thirdly, the providence of God turns evil to good. But you already know that, right? I mean, look at verse 9. Jochebed not only gets her baby back, she gets paid for nursing him. How cool is that? That reminds me of the story of this, this, this older Christian woman who loved Jesus, who lived like six feet away from another house of an, of a, of an avowed atheist who hated God. And her windows would be open. She, the atheist would hear the woman praying all the time. It annoyed him. And one day, the woman, he overheard the woman say, Lord, I have nothing left. There are no groceries in the cupboard or in my refrigerator. Would you please provide, bring someone to give me groceries? And the atheist had an idea. So he went out and bought groceries, put them on the front step of the woman, and then hid in the bushes. The woman came out, looked at the groceries. She said, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for providing for me. To which the atheist jumped out of the bushes and goes, ha, I gotcha. That wasn't God that provided it. That was from me. To which the lady said, hallelujah, Lord. Thank you for giving me groceries and making the devil pay for it. <laughs> Every one of us need 50-20 vision, which is the book which precedes uh, Exodus, where, and you know the story, here is Joseph, he's misused and abused, sent down to Egypt, into prison, it gets worse before it gets better, before he becomes second in charge of all of Egypt, saves Israel, saves his brothers who abused him, and then when their dad dies, their brothers assume that Joseph, this is time, it's time to mete out the punishment, and they're certain of it, because that was the law of the land. But Joseph told his brothers, what you intended for evil, God meant for what? For good. The providence of God then and now turns evil to good. And finally, the providence of God will comfort you when life doesn't. Now listen to this. The providence of God will comfort you when life doesn't. Right now, I know this, some of you are miserable in life for whatever reason, the circumstances, the event, people in your life could be just something personal. But think about this. Look at verse 10. Look at the last verse. Now remember, Jacob has given up her, has taken her baby. She has nursed the baby. 
Now she gives the baby back to the daughter of Pharaoh. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Think of the faith it would have taken for these parents to give their child back to a totally pagan, idol-worshiping, polytheistic culture. No different than our own. And as I thought about this, the only people I can think that can relate to the heart of Amram and Jochebed are foster parents today who care for babies and care for children and then have to give them back. Sometimes to the parents, sometimes to somebody else. But the pain of giving a child up after loving on them for an extended period of time must be unimaginable. And you individuals know the heart and agony of Amram and Jochebed. Remember, Moses' parents didn't know at that time that God had big plans for Moses. Moses would leave his parents' arms, but he would never leave their hearts or their prayers. And so you think about this, moms and dads. You think about this, every single one of you, teenagers and collegians. God is working. He's making things come together in his providence. And so don't just glibly quote the flip side of Proverbs, or, uh, uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, is, is Romans 8, 28, when, when we hear, and some of us just glibly, flippantly quote, all things, what? Work together. For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That is the providence of God right there. That's God sewing things together. That's God working it together. And yeah, it's a lot of heartache. And yeah, it's a lot of joy. And it's all working together. God's providence is his hand. His hands on human history. His hands on your life. His hands on my life. The sovereignty of God gives me trust knowing he holds my future. But the providence of God gives me comfort, knowing that he holds my hand as he holds the future. And this is the thought behind Jesus' words when he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they will never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. My Father, who's greater than all, has given them to me. And no one can pluck them out of his hand. I and the Father are what? We're one. One day, another child would be born. During a time of stress and oppression, and another world ruler would move millions of people for his own glory through taxation. But simultaneously, God's providence was moving just one couple for his glory. Just to get him into a certain town where the prophet said he had to be born. Another king would attempt to murder him, just like Moses. Ironically, and by providence, Jesus went down to Egypt to hide from the wicked king. Only to return to Israel to save wicked people like you, like me. The name Moses means 
one drawn out. Drawn out of the Nile, obviously, literally. The name of Jesus means to save. Let's just put those two things together. There are some of you in this room that are still swimming in a cesspool of your own sin, your own pride. You're like Ellen and Jacqueline. You got a bunch of information, you got a bunch of religion, but you don't have relationship. That's a cesspool, and you're dying in it. And you will drown in it, and you will suffer in hell forever if you continue to resist the Lord. Jesus will save you. He'll draw you out of that cesspool, save you, and give you eternal life. If you'll trust him, will you? Father in heaven, as we close this up here this morning, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, who came down to draw us out and save us from our sins. We thank you, dear God, that you are not just the sovereign God, overarching, overruling, controlling all things. We're glad for that, and that gives us comfort for sure. But we're more comforted, Lord, even by your providence, your hand, and your heart reaching out to us, touching us, holding us, and walking us through the melees of life. Lord, in this room, there are people who are hurting. We prayed this last hour for a woman whose four-year-old died just a few weeks ago. I can't imagine the pain of that mother. Lord, there are many pains represented in this room. I pray, dear God, that you would help them to see that you're not only the God that controls, but you're the God that cares. Who doesn't just hold all things together, but you hold our hearts and minds together as well, and you'll walk us through these days of difficulty. And would you save those today in this room, Lord, who are still swimming in their own personal cesspools of sin and draw them out and save them by your son who loved them and died and rose again for them. Even the greater Moses, our Lord Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.